Hebrews chapter 4. We'll all stand as we read aloud together just one verse, Hebrews 4, 12. All right, together. Once you found it, Hebrews 4, 12, let's begin. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let's pray. Father, bless the, the hearing and the preaching of your word this morning because it does the work that nothing else can. I pray that it would work, both cut and heal, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right, I want to talk to you, part two of Churches It Ought to Be. And I, uh, I really love these two chapters that we're looking at in Hebrews chapter, uh, I said Hebrews, in Nehemiah chapters uh, 8 and 9. Uh, I know you're in Hebrews. Go back to the left, find Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And it probably ought to be a very well-known verse for you this morning. Hebrews, sorry, keep saying Hebrews. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Jesus is being tempted in all points like as we are. But here, the devil's, after he has, uh, after Jesus has fasted for 40 days and is quite hungry, the devil says, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Just make a logical thing. If you can do it, do it. Verse 4, but he, Jesus, answered back and said, it is written, man shall not, what's that next word? You ought to circle that word because everybody's looking for life. But man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So when we come to Nehemiah chapter 8 and 9, uh, you're, you're going to be looking at a church-like situation. You're going to look at people who are acting out just what we do um, uh, um, 2,600 years later, 2,500 years later. And um, the only difference is that you'll find in, and I need you to go to John chapter 6 next. John chapter 6, the only thing that you'll find missing is all the entertainment. The thing that you'll find missing is there's no stage. There's no manipulation of people's emotions through music and through stories. You know I can't tell jokes, so that is no good either. But what you'll find is that you'll find people in Nehemiah chapter 8 and 9 who have gathered together to hear what God thought. You'll find them gathering to learn how God sees things and discover the right way to live. And you'll find it only in the Bible. You see, church has always been about the Bible. You're in Matthew, and you should, should find Luke, I'm sorry, uh, John chapter 6 in verse 63. John 6, 63. A lot of people, church is the building in which they meet. They sort of get a feeling from being in the building. To some people, it just the way they feel. So they only go to church if they feel like it, and they don't go to church if they don't feel like it. Church is how they feel. Sometimes church is all about the miracles that they want to believe God for. But Jesus says this in John 6, 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, makes alive. The flesh profiteth what? 
It benefits you no way at all. Anything you see, hear, touch, feel, taste, uh, look at, that will profit you nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are your life. So, when you read, now I need you to go to Nehemiah chapter 8. When you go to Nehemiah chapter 8 and 9, you'll find everything you need to have church. Nehemiah is just, if you find Psalms in the middle of your Bible, go left, Nehemiah chapter 8, where we were last week, and you'll find nine things, there are actually more, but I trimmed them down to about nine big things that are part of a church, and it was all right there in Nehemiah chapter 8. You'll find a crowd of people gathered together as one man, the Bible says. Not at each other, not in disunity, not just coming to go, but they came together in great unity. There was a man preaching from a special book on top of a, of a, a raised pulpit. You'll find teachers teaching the Bible so that everyone could understand it. You will find in that, that chapter, chapter 8 and chapter 9, absolute respect and even reverence for the Word of God. You'll discover true worship going on, followed by sorrow and repentance which is probably the most important part of a church service. Then you'll find joy and rejoicing, which is the byproduct of repentance. Then you'll find people who are hungry for more. They, they, just, they, 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 they go back again and again, and then you'll find decisions that last. So, want to go there in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. We'll start off and look at these things. The first thing you'll notice here, verse 1, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man. Go back to chapter 7. Just go back one page, one, one set of verses, back to verse 66. Chapter 7, 66, it says the whole congregation together was not 40, not 40 and 2, but 40 and 2,000. 303 score. That's 42,360. That's a lot of people to get along together with. Amen? That's a lot of people who have usually issues. There's a lot of people to try to get to love one another, and yet they're doing it. So the first thing I want you to see is a crowd of people gathered together, and it says, as one man, they were unified. Now the Bible says that it's, all you need is two or three. Amen? Aren't you glad Jesus said we're two or three are gathered together? There is no need to have a mega church. Now, this would be considered a mega meeting, obviously. But a church is not based on numbers. The church is based upon the unity there and the, and, and, and the fact that people say, I've got to be a church. I, 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 want, I am the church. And if I'm not there, I'm like a missing brick. So you find that you can have church with just two or three people. But it's nice when everyone that names the name of Christ gathers. Amen? Isn't it nice? when just everybody comes. There are, and I, I, sometimes you get discouraged, don't you? You're at work and you're wondering, is there anybody else saved here? You're at school and you wonder, am I the only one that's saved? You live in your estate and you just wonder, am I the only one that puts tracks in the doors and invites people? But I'm going to tell you, there are more Christians out there. They're out there, folks. But most are too busy. Most are struggling with their bad attitudes. So many are just lazy or they're in sin. But not this crowd. This crowd wanted to be a church. This crowded crowd, when they heard that trumpet blow, 
that, that called them to this assembly, they says, we got to go. And I like that. Now, we don't have, we don't have trumpets. We have alarms. Amen? <laughs> we have alarm clocks. And uh, we, have, we, we, we know what day it is. Uh, our, if, if you don't know what day it is, you pick up your phone and it tells you what day it is. I mean, there's no excuse that everybody's not together. Now, they were called together. That's the first part of the word church. Church comes from a Greek word that means called out assembly. That's what church means. And, and called out means it's like somebody standing up in the middle of a town square and all the houses in that town, uh, 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 everybody's sleeping or everybody's fixing breakfast or whatever, and somebody stands up and says, Hear ye, hear ye, all are requested to attend the town center. All of a sudden, everybody comes out, and they're going, what's up, what's up, what's up? Well, that's church. We've been called out of whatever we're doing, and we come to hear the Word of God. We are called out. We just don't, I, I feel like going to church today. No, I know God wants me in church today. I've been called away from whatever schedule I have, no matter if, it's, if I've got work, or if I've got play, if I've got bills to do, or if I've got Netflix to watch. I am called to assemble together with other believers. You know what's funny? They were called to one place, not to get online. They were going to be there. They came to hear the preaching of the Word of God. They assembled, which means they actually filled a, they actually filled a purpose. If you assemble something, now this thing's got all sorts of parts. I'm not going to take the thing apart, but it'd be no good if the parts were on the table, right? If you're going to use this thing, all the parts have to be assembled. And a church is no good if we're not fitting together and working together, taking our place and serving together as one person, as one body. So they assembled in their place. Everyone was doing a ministry. There were people who were, yes, there were people who, who were, had families and they were busy with families, but there were people who were manning the doors. Those are called porters. There were people who were singers. There were people who were teachers. There was stuff going on and everybody was involved. And a great church is one where no matter how many people gather together, they gather and assemble themselves in unity. The church, uh, a church doesn't make us unified. The Bible makes us unified. As we're going to see, they didn't just come so that they could, you know, just have a, 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 any old meeting and have a social club. They came with a purpose, which we're going to see in just a moment. Then they gladly serve one another as a body, as we'll see also. Secondly, you find a man preaching from a special book on top of a raised pulpit. Still looking there in verse 1, and all the people gather themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate. By the way, they weren't inside a building. You couldn't put 42,000 uh, uh, people in a building. They're all gathered on the street. It's very public. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the law had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate, from the morning until the midday, before the men and the women, and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the what? They paid attention. They were hungry to hear the word of the book of the law. Verse 4, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, 
which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood 13 other men. Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above, they put him up above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Now the focus and all the attention of that meeting was on the book. It was not on the singers, it was not on the decorum, it was not on the atmosphere. All the people focused on that pulpit and on the book that was going to be read from the top of that. Do you know, this was the method that Jesus used. Hold your place here and go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, is it your custom? It ought to be. And as, it was, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now we go into church on Sunday. We're not Jews, but it was the right thing to do. And he stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place wherein it was written, and he read on. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set to li at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness. All agreed, and they wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. What words proceeded out of his mouth? The word of God. He's up there, and he's reading there going, We never heard it this way. As he read, it was like it was real. He, as, I'll tell you, the, the woman who gave me the gospel the first day when I was 17 years old at a coffee shop, when she talked about Jesus and she opened up the gospel track and she read the verses on the thing, it was like I had never heard the Bible before. And really, I hadn't. But as she did, it was like it was real. It was as if hell was hot. It was as if Jesus was the only Savior. There was a way that you read the Bible that you take it and you go, it's true. And he says, wow, that's how you read the Bible. So the Bible was read out loud. People gave it extra attention, unlike any other book you've ever read. They stood to hear it. Now that's very, you know, sometimes we're sitting and we sort of, we, we twist our ear to be able to hear it or whatever. But here they stood at attention. It was a, it was a mark of, I'm not going to miss one word. And they quieted down to hear it. Again, 42,000 people hearing one man speak is awesome. It's, uh, he had to have a voice, agreed. But they heard him because everybody was quiet. Amen? And that's, that's why at church you go, why are we so quiet in church? So we can all hear. Why do we try to get the kids to sit still? And by the way, it is important to teach kids to sit still. Do not expect the school to teach your children to sit still. Church can help you with you bringing them, sitting them next to you, and them learning to sit still. Stop that. Them learning to sit still and go, he's preaching. He's got the Word of God. 
Listen. You say, the kid won't understand. Oh, the kid picks up more than you think. Why don't you and your wife argue a little bit and find out what they pick up? And they hungered to hear it. They just, listen, for somebody to sit there for between three and four hours means they loved it. Now, you think it's rough for, for the amount of time we spent here for an hour. They stayed there listening for over three hours. Now, what were they listening? Were they listening to just an old book? No, they were reading and listening to, the, to, to what we know is the words of Almighty God. The God that most people no longer believe in. You know, whether you believe Him or not, He created everything that there is. Look at chapter 9. You're in Nehemiah chapter 8. Look at chapter 9 and verse 6. Thou, even thou art Lord alone. Thou hast evolved heaven. Is that what it says? No, thou hast made heaven, even the heaven of heavens, with all the hosts, all the stars, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou, hast, thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worship thee. Thou art the Lord God, who didst choose Abram, and broughtest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees, and gavest him the name of Abraham. What was what, Nehemiah is sort of a summary of everything they read from start to finish. You know, there, there are some great stories in the Bible, but the stories are not the Bible. The Bible is the story. And when you start in Genesis chapter 1, you're following his story. We call it history. But we're following his story all the way through as he's seeking fallen man. And he's trying to bring him back. Um, Ezra held back nothing. You know what, uh, Acts 20, 27, Ezra didn't go, oh, I can't read this part, it'll offend somebody. He didn't do that. Ezra just read the Bible. And you understand that the freedom of speech that we are watching being eroded today is not to permit people to have hate speech and not permit people to say uh, awful things and, uh, and filthy things. Um, the freedom of speech was, was put into constitutions and was fought and died for so that preachers could preach the Bible. The very reason why we have the freedom of speech today is not so that you can say whatever you want. It's so that the man of God can say what God thought and what God wants. And so when the Bible is offensive, let it cut. Let it work away because that book has to be heard. And if this book is going to be heard, that means everybody's going to have to be heard. I know that. But freedom to preach this Bible is why people have died so that other people can have the freedom to say such filthy things. It's awful, awful, awful. But Ezra held back nothing. Acts 20, 27, Paul said this when he was um, reminding the church at, uh, at Ephesus. He said, I kept back nothing. I declared unto you the whole counsel of God. I taught you everything that there is that I know. And that's what you need to hear. I don't want to ever worry, I wonder if Leo is going to be upset at me for saying this. I don't want to ever have to sit back and go, oh, I wonder who's going to get offended at that. Because thus saith the Lord is all we need, amen? So, now there are reasons why the Bible commands respect. Did you ever think about it? The reason why people ought to respect the Bible and why it usually has been respected throughout history up until recently it's not because it never offended anybody. Boy, if, if that book can make you mad, amen. 
Because once it's got your emotions engaged, and once it's got you upset enough to argue with it, it'll win. And you could get glad, amen? So don't get all upset when the pastor makes you angry or when church just is rubbing you the wrong way. As a great preacher named uh, Billy Sunday once said, he said, I got people who complain about my preaching. And they come and they say, you rubbed me the wrong way. He said, well, I, if I ever had a cat that I was rubbing the wrong way, I turned the cat around. Which means I'm not going to change the direction I work. You change your direction. And everything will be fine. The Bible commands respect not because it doesn't offend people. And not because everyone is so blessed and made happy when they read it. Some people, you know what we think is, we think if I read the Bible, it's like, like good luck charms. I get fairy dust all over me. You know? And that's not the Bible. The Bible, sometimes when you read it, you just slam it shut and you say, I didn't want to read that. I don't want to know that. I don't like that. You see, the book is not, a, is not human thought. It's not man's wisdom. It's not people's best guesses. You know what it is? It's what God says. Thus saith the Lord. You can turn to all the guesses like Confucius had. You can seek the Hindu gurus. I'd rather turn to God and know what he says. This book is settled. It's finished. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It doesn't need to be added to. It doesn't need to be revised. It just needs to be read. You look at a Book of Mormon. It was, it was come up with by a deluded liar in Missouri, Missouri, USA. Tried to add a third testament to the Bible. It is not belonging. You get the modern charismatic prophets, Benny Hinn and Paula White and Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar. What a name, Creflo Dollar. Kenneth Hagin, Joyce Meyer, all of them adding advanced revelations. You know what they'll tell you? Believe her, believe him, and not the Bible. I'd rather choose the Bible. Amen. You know why a lot of people go to those big mega churches? Because of them, not because of the Word. This book is not only settled, it is true from the very first word. The Bible says, Thy word is true from the beginning, <laughs> from Genesis 1 1. Now, the Pope had a problem with that. Pope John Paul II said, Genesis is a myth. I have a problem with that. He didn't accept that God created. He said, well, it looks like evolution, and Adam and Eve really were two monkeys that climbed out of a tree, and they discovered each other, and they then thought they were human, and that's where we began. That's what John Paul II and the magisterium taught, and that's not what the Bible says. Thy word is true from the beginning. I, that commands respect because it's true from the start. I just don't go reading along going, oh, I skip this, skip this, I don't believe this, I don't believe this. Oh, I'll believe this. No, I believe the whole thing. This book hurts and heals. We read the verses, it says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, when it says that, it's like comparing it to a scalpel. How many know what a scalpel is? All right, it's not what an Indian uses. A scalpel is one of the most sharpest knives ever so that you can open up a body. And the Bible says that this book cuts us up. It divides us up like you would uh, a, a dissecting specimen on the lab table there, dividing asunder of, of bone and marrow and soul and spirit, and it discerns the intents of our hearts. It criticizes us. That's the Bible. It cuts. But I'm glad it has two edges, amen? See, a scalpel can only cut. But God's Word not only cuts, 
But the second edge comes back and heals. So stay with, you say, well, the Bible's hurting. Just keep reading. It'll heal after a little while. You start in, in Psalms, and you read a Psalm, and David's out there crying out, Lord God, where'd you go? God, what happened? We were so close. God, I thought things were fine, but my enemies have surrounded me. I'm going to die. You seem to abandon me. And you keep reading. And then he goes on, but you never abandoned me. You have strengthened me. You have given me joy. Thank you, Lord. He's gone from one end to the other end, and you never would see it if you didn't just keep reading. Amen? This book here hurts, and it heals. And it never goes out of fashion. You say, why didn't it go out of fashion, Pastor? Because it never was in fashion. It is timeless. These, these words are the words of eternal life. Another thing that you'll find there back in Nehemiah chapter 8, look at verse 7. We have a bunch of names of people. Nehemiah 8, 7. Yeshua and Bani and Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodijah. If anybody's looking for names for their children, Beth, here you go. <laughs> Hodijah, that's good. Hodijah, grainy. Maasiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jozebed. That's a good one. There we go. Jozebed. <laughs> Hanan. Some woman named their kids this. Come on, it's okay. Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites. Look at what they did. They caused the people to understand the law. And the people, and it just says that they stood in their place. They didn't get tired. You know, church is all about teaching and explaining the Scriptures. You could just sit at home, John, back in the back, you could just sit at home and read your Bible, couldn't you? But it's kind of nice to be in church and have somebody challenge you. Do you understand what thou readest? Have you thought about it this way? I'm not the end result, I'm not the end game to be able to tell you what this thing means every time. But I'm going to tell you, we'll read it, we'll take it literally, and, we'll just, and I'll try to get your mind open so you go... Ah, so that's what it's saying. God calls men who are specially assigned to feed the flock. You know what Jesus said to Peter when he was leaving? He says, Peter, you like fishing? I love fishing, Peter said. He said, I don't want you to go fishing anymore. I want you to go shepherding. And Peter probably in his heart said, I hate shepherds. Fishermen like to be out on the sea. They like to work their own hours. They like to go out at night. They like to, 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 to work all night, catch the fish and sleep all day. And here's Jesus saying, I don't want you to go fishing anymore, Peter. I want you to go sheeping. I want you to feed my sheep. Remember him saying that? Took a man, and that, listen, that's the call of God. You know you're called when you have your plans and your calling, your career, and God says, no, that's all nice and fine. You can make all the money you want, but I need you to do this. And that's God's call. God called men specifically to feed the flock. That means feed them with truth. Feed them not with man's words, but God's words. Teach the people. Teach them how to think biblically. I believe the, the most logical and the right skeptic ought to be a Bible believer. You see stuff coming in your mail all the time. Uh, uh, cures cancer in 30 seconds. You get something else in your email and it says, the world is ending in three days. You know, all this stuff. And, and I'm just wondering, I know people sh can't be believing this, and yet they do. And they fall for it, and they fall for it, and they... F Listen, that Bible enables you to go, no, 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 no that's not right. 
And that is right. That is what the Bible will do. It will open your eyes and go, you know, there are things that are true and there are things that are just stupid. It is right to teach people to think biblically, which means carefully, skeptically, logically. Somebody says, I'm an apostle. You ought to be able to go, "Ah, prove it. Amen? You ought to be able to prove it. Somebody else says, oh, I'm a Christian. Really? When did you get saved? Oh, I've always been saved. Eh, wrong answer. Amen. You're supposed to be a little bit skeptical. You're not judging everybody, but just everybody seems to claim and, and say and believe anything they want. And a Bible believer says, no, I'm going to stick with what the Bible says. That's kind of funny. Uh, these guys are up there and they're explaining words and meanings and laws and expectations. Uh, as, as, as Ezra was reading, he came to a word like atonement and stopped and he explained what atonement means. Atonement means two enemies being reconciled. Two enemies that are irreconcilable being brought together and made family. Atonement, redemption, holiness. What is sin? What's justification? What is substitution? What is salvation? You know what learn all that is? It's discipleship. It's learning what they mean, what words mean. I, I, have, uh, I have watched as people, when they first get saved, they, they come to the Bible and it's like, it's like uh, perspex. It's like cloudy glass to them sometimes. And so you'll ask them a question and you'll go, all right, what does that verse say? And I'll go, uh, uh, Jesus. <laughs> That's all they know to say, you know. And over time, as you get them to look at the words and to read it and to get, oh, it's making sense. Oh, I see and then they can tell you what each word is saying. And that's breathtaking, because that's what the Bible is written for, for you to understand, and for you to go, wow. It's just kind of funny. You know, uh, uh, if you wanted to take up a sport or a hobby, you'd need to learn their lingo too. And I, I figured three hobbies here people would like, like knitting. I'm going to pick up the hobby of knitting. We're going to have to learn, and I wish uh, Geraldine, uh, uh, Celine was here this morning, but you'll have to learn what a bind-off is, and cast-ons, and garter stitch, and moss stitch, and pearls. I thought it was spelled differently. Uh, pass-slipped stitch over, and reverse shaping in selvage. Wow, whatever selvage is, I don't want to know. But if you're going to get into knitting, you're going to have to learn what that is. How about rugby? Follow this. A knock-on results in a scrum with a put-in to the opposition apart from when a knock-on is committed by a player whose team is on their last tackle. When the result is a handover and apart from it, if the opposing team gains possession of the ball, which results and begins their set of tackles with a zero tackle. How many understood that? You are awful. (laughs) I have no idea what I just read. But if you're going to get into rugby, somebody's going to have to teach you what those things are. I mean, scrum. I mean, what is that? I know what it is. A mall. I know what that is. Oh, no, it's not what it is. <laughs> a ruck. A line out. A blood replacement. I don't want to know what that is. But those, listen, when you come to the Bible, you're going to learn terms. Amen? Just like if you were going to get into uh, any sport or any activity. I was reading up about woodworking. They have a language all their own. Biscuit joint. What is that? That's what I want to know. A biscuit joint. Blind mortise and tenon. Bridal joint. 
butt joint. I don't know what that is. Cope and stick joint. <laughs> a dowel joint, ferrule, beveled square. I can't even pronounce the next one. Diamond paste, low angle box. Listen, you get into something and you learn all the lingo because that's your life now. Why do we learn words like justification? Redemption. Why do we sing, redeemed how I love to proclaim it? Why do we sing that? Because we know what it means. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank God for churches that take the time to teach adults and children the Bible. We just, listen, our kids don't just go back there in Sunday school so they can color pictures of Noah's Ark. They learn what sin is. They learn what hell is like. They learn who's in heaven and how to get there. They learn what God is like. They learn what the devil's like. They learn how to, how to uh, uh, resist the devil and let him flee from them. They know how to uh, uh, obey God and find the strength in serving God and joy. On and on. That's church. And it was right there in Nehemiah 8. You'll find absolute respect for the Word of God. Look back there in verse 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, and he was above, before he was above all the people. And when he opened it, the people stood up. Listen, you can't have a good church without respect for the Bible. Too many people put all the focus on the preacher, or all the focus on the people, or on the building they meet in. You know, uh, these 42,360 people came together to hear the words of life. They stood for three, maybe four hours a day to hear it. They took time to learn it, memorize it, so they could think about it for the rest of their lives. How many of you have noticed, how many of you have noticed, a picture goes into the head and you never get rid of it? Isn't that a shame? Isn't that how the devil's made our generations? These last two generations are battling pictures, images, things we wish we never saw. Amen. When God meant for you to read something, meditate on it, and remember it for the rest of your life. Because words matter. Pictures destroy words. What you say can be so destructive. What you say can be such a blessing. In your lips is life and death. They took time to learn it. Sometimes things go wrong. They paid attention to it. They obeyed it. And you'll, These people weren't just coming, just go, oh, that was a nice message, uh, Ezra. No, they came and they said, I know what I need to do now. Um, as a matter of fact, look there in chapter 8. Look at verse 13. On the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and Levites, and to Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. They came back the second day. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had committed by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths. We'd say tents, homemade tents, in the feast of the seventh month. Verse 16, So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, everyone upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity, everybody made booths and they sat under their booths. For since the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, we'd say Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day had not the children of Israel done so. And it was very great gladness. So what they had heard was, we ought to celebrate the feast of what was called the Feast of Booths, which was to remind them when they came out of Egypt 
And they wandered for 40 years to remind them to stay humble, even though they had houses and land, to remind them they're just traveling through. One day they're going to live in a mansion in heaven. And so don't worry about where you're living now. Don't, remember, don't worry about what you live under. Just keep going. So they all got around. And you know what? People, if they visited the city of Jerusalem that week that they were celebrating the Feast of Booze, if you had, had just visited the city, you'd say, this is a weird city. But I was okay with them. If it was in the Bible, they said they were going to do it. Do you ever feel a little backward because you do things a little bit different than the world around you? Do you ever wonder what your neighbors think when you're headed out to the car to go to church on Sunday morning and not on Saturday night if they go at all? Isn't it kind of funny when you hand out a gospel track and nobody else ever has done that at your workplace? They paid attention to it. If, if, if they found it in the Bible, they said, we'll do it. And you know, I have to say this. If this Bible doesn't do much for you, you might not be one of Jesus' sheep. Go to John here, chapter 3, verse 19. Holding your place in 8. John chapter 3. In 19. John 3, 19. This is the condemnation. This is why everybody's in trouble. Because light is coming to the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Would you rather there was a, a Netflix being shown right now? Would you rather be watching a film or um, uh, down at the, at the uh, lake or at a river? Do, would you rather be at home working on your hobby or would you rather be doing anything except here? The Bible tells on you. Isn't that funny? The Bible says people don't like the light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Let's go to another one. Look at chapter 8, verse 47. John 8, 47. John 8, 47. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because oh, you're not of God. He was talking to the Pharisees who were looking at Jesus, and every time Jesus spoke and opened his mouth, you know what they did? They went, ah, not going to listen. He says, you're not even of God. Go to John chapter 10. One more page over. John chapter 10, verse 24. Then came the Jews round about Jesus and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. They tell whether I am or not. But ye believe not. Why? Because you're not my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. Here's the truth. If it's, if it's like pulling teeth to get you to come to hear the Bible read and preached and taught, if it's like, like it has to be the end of the world before you sit down and you make time to read your Bible, I have to ask you, are you really saved? I have to ask you, are you one of Jesus' sheep? Because Jesus' sheep love to hear his voice. They love to take, spend time. That doesn't mean that they find it easy. 
to be at church. That doesn't mean that we just find it easy to just pick up our Bible. Oh, pastor, you have so much time in your life. You can just read all day and it just, who cares? I mean, you've got nothing else to do. No, you'll make time for what you love. True worship then broke out. Still there in Nehemiah chapter 8, looking verse 6. I like this. As he's reading, he stops and he blesses the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen! Amen! With lifting up of their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now Ezra publicly, loudly blesses the Lord. What does it mean to bless the Lord? Well, it means to honor Him and honor His name. To make God feel special. To put a smile on His face. You like it when somebody's a blessing to you, don't you? You like when somebody just tries to make you happy, amen? Well, so does God. All the people joined in with Him. They engaged. You know, it's kind of lonely up here when I'm preaching. Everybody's just looking at me. No, it's kind of nice when people go, I agree, you're right. That's what amen means. They lift up their hands, and some people think it means this. You know, They weren't doing that. They were doing this. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of he's right and I'm wrong. They bow their faces to the ground in humility. You know, one of the ways that you know you're in a good church is, you know, let me just say this. One of the ways I know we're having a good church meeting is when everybody's only focused on their own heart, not on anybody else. I hope you want that. Instead of you wondering, oh, I wonder if so-and-so is going to be here. I wonder if so-and-so is ever going to look up. I wonder If all you're doing is looking at everybody else, you're missing the point of the message. True worship is you're focusing on Him. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men's attention unto me. I'll draw all men unto me. That's true worship. It is, it is loving Him. Oh, when was the last time you told Jesus you loved Him? You say, you know what Peter did? Peter's there rolling up all those fish that he caught the last time he ever went fishing. And he's counting them. 26, 27, oh that's great. 28, 29. You know what Jesus said? Peter, lovest thou me more than these? He's not comparing Peter's love with the other disciples. He says, do you love me more than you love those fish? And Peter's counting, don't break my count, Lord, 31. Yeah, you know I love you. 32, oh, 33. And Jesus said, I'd feed my lambs. And then as he's getting up around 50 or 60, Jesus says, Peter, got another question for you. Lovest thou me? And Peter's not even the, of course. And he says these words, thou knowest I love you. I don't need to tell you. 61. 62, oh, that's the best one I've ever seen. Jesus said, feed my sheep. He's like, I got another question for you, Peter. What is it, Lord? Lovest thou me? Boy, it says Peter was exasperated. Peter said, he said, thou knowest I love thee. Now, what is Peter saying? I don't need to tell you. You know what Jesus says? Yes, you do. And yes, you need to put those fish down that you really love, and if you really love me, you'll be interested in what I want from your life. Because in the, in the few moments after that, Jesus said, do you realize you've been able to live as you've wanted? You've been able to do what you want, but from, from this day forward, you're going to be led where you don't want to go. 
and you're going to die a way you don't want to die. And Peter had to choose which one he loved more. I think it's very, I think it's very manly to tell Jesus you love him. To actually bow your head and say, Lord, I love you. David did it all the time in the book of Psalms. How about yielding to his will? It was the last time you said, not my will, Lord. I know what I want to do, but if you want me to change anything, I will. When was the last time you thanked him for just being kind and patient and long-suffering and good towards you? That's what these guys were doing. They're praising God for being kind to them. They didn't deserve coming back into their city. They didn't deserve to rebuild this destroyed city because it was the sin of their grandparents that had brought it down. And they're saying, thank you for giving us another chance. I got a question for you. I mean, they were just praising God for just who he is. I like what he does, but it's nice to just say, Lord, just because you're God, I love you. Thank you, I praise you. Now, Jesus actually explained that in John 4 where he said to the woman of Samaria, and he said, you worship, you know not what, but we worship what we know for, for salvation is the Jews. And, and you want to worship up in Samaria, and the Jews want to worship in Jerusalem, but the Father doesn't seek that anymore. What the Father seeks is for us to worship him in spirit, in our spirit, and in truth. You can, you can worship God in the, in the street. Worship God in a closet. You compare that with modern worship. And you can't, most people try to carry that home and it doesn't go home. And so they get people to come so they have the disco feeling instead of the worship feeling. True worship doesn't look like that. True worship has every bed bowed, every eye closed, and every hand up saying, I surrender. Sorrow and repentance speaking there. Look at, um, look at verse 6. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting their hands and bowing their heads. They worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And, and it says in Joshua and Banna and all these guys, they caused the people to understand the law. Verse 8, they read in the book of the law distinctly. They gave the sense. They caused them to understand the reading. Verse 9, and Nehemiah, which is the Tirshatha, the governor, and Ezra the, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said to all the people, Hey, 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 this day is holy unto the Lord. It's not a bad day. Mourn not. What were they doing? They were grieving. Nor weep. They were crying for all the people. Notice how that all, there was a movement in all their hearts. All the people wept when they heard the words. Of the law. Look at how they all responded. Some of the greatest church meetings ever were when nobody had a good feeling. When everybody left quietly, not because they didn't want to be at church, but because they were ashamed of their own sin. Because they just felt like, I'm a failure to God. And I'm so sorry, and I just want to do right, and I just want to get right. And when I, when I come out of this, I'm going to live differently. That's a great service. They didn't, they were weeping and mourning, full of sorrow. You know what was going on? Grown men and women, along with their children, were getting thoroughly, thoroughly converted. You know, too many people who just pray a prayer and they hope it works. These people are saying, Lord, I am so sorry. I am so wrong. It is very easy to point to somebody else and say, they are so wrong. But it's a whole lot easier, a whole lot harder to look at yourself and go, I am wrong. 
They heard the words of God and they believed them. Do you know what Romans 10, 17 says? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Psalm 119 says, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. You've resurrected me. You gave me life with your word. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, born again by the word of God. Now, how do you get saved, Craig? You believe what you're reading there? Well, how do I know I'm saved? When you believe it. Because the Bible says, if you just call on his name, you will be saved. It just says, if you believe him, you are born again. When you believe it, you say, I don't know if I believe it. Then, then, you're, not, then you're not saved. But when you believe it, something happens. It's marvelous. It's a new birth. And these people were just believing every word, and it was cutting them. Now, this is also the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not mentioned here, but it is absolutely breathtaking because so many people want the Holy Spirit to just give them this warm, ooey-gooey kind of big Newton feeling. You know, the gooey center, first the outside. Anyway. The main work of the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin. Listen to John chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, and if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, notice he calls him Comforter there, but he says, I will send him unto you, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And if you don't want such words that reprove sometimes you, cut sometimes, upset you, then you're in the wrong place. That's why I want preaching. That's why I want to hear somebody tell me straight. Hmm. God in love gave us his law, as negative as it may be, so that we could accept his love with the right kind of heart. What kind of a heart? Broken, empty, real. And then something else happened. Look at verse back there in 8-9. Nehemiah which is the Tirshatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, which means eat the best. Drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry. Why? Have you heard this, this phrase? The joy of the Lord is your strength. What does that mean? His joy is your strength. How do you get him happy? Start doing things his way. You know how to make me happy? Do it the way I ask you to do it. Amen? If I ask to do something you do it your own way, I'll be very cross. And that, well, the Lord is the same. The Lord says, I want you to get saved one way. <laughs> Don't try it another way. There is joy. This is the right order of things. Deal with When you come to church, I hope you have the desire. Again, we're talking about how to behave in the house of God. Deal with your hearts, your attitudes, and your secret sins. If something is said, and I've heard it before, somebody's actually used to say, they haven't said it in a while, but used to say this, were you in our house last night? Because I will mention something and they'll go, that's exactly what we were dealing with last night. And I'm here to tell you, when you come to church, you ought to say, Lord, talk to me about anything. Deal with me, deal with my heart, even my secret sins. You know, God can do that. This supernatural book can open up situations and things that I don't need to know about. It'll cut deep and expose what's wrong and sinful in every one of our lives. Everybody in that group was humbled, 
And then God put joy in every heart. They were, they were actually, it turned out to be like Christmas. Look at the joy of these people. It, um, uh, they, were, they were told that they could start breathing now. As they read the Bible, they thought they were in trouble with God. Then they could breathe. They could laugh again. It says, um, where's the mirth? Uses a verse there that says, ah, verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions, gifts, and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared under them. They got excited. They they great. They drank sweet things. And they made sure everyone else was able to join in simply because they understood enough to repent and get back right with God. Let me tell you, there's no greater joy in a church than when people get right with God. Then when we come and we say, you know what, I'm a mess. I came to church as a hospital, and I want God to work on me. And when God does, you can shout. You can, you can just lose it in joy. Did you know that it was a joy of the Lord that they had now? Jesus didn't just say to his disciples, I want to give you peace. He said, I want to give you my peace. You remember that? Here, whatever joy you've ever experienced is nothing compared to his joy, the joy of the Lord, be in your strength. So quit fighting God's word as it works in you. And probably the reason why you don't read the Bible is because it is hurtful. Jeremiah, God has right, write these words. Is not my word like a hammer? <laughs> we want it to tickle. We want it to be a pillow. It says, is not my word like a hammer and like a fire? Church is much better when we listened and let this book cut us and hurt us and humble us first, briefly. They were hungry for more. I already read there in verse 13, the second day. Think about it. They went one day. They hear the Bible read, read for three to four hours. Then on day two, the people gathered again. They listened for another three to four hours. Day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. They were there for an entire week listening to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It took 13 hours straight reading. Then they come back again two weeks later for more. And they listen for uh, Joshua and Judges and Ruth and 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, all being read to them. Uh, look at chapter 9. I'll show you this. Verse 3, And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day. That's Three hours. And another fourth part, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. So how long was church for them? Six hours. You know, there was one time, wasn't too often, but Paul is in, in Ephesus, and they ask him to come preach, and so he starts preaching around 6 p.m., and he's still going at midnight. <laughs> and at midnight, there was, he was kind of in, a, in an open area. There were people up in the third, wind, the third loft up, uh, up in the window, and a guy falls out of the window and dies. I mean, that, that'll ruin any church service, amen? So Paul goes over there and lays his hands on him, and he gets up fine. Everybody's like, not a little comforted, it says. But they didn't want to leave, and he just stayed, and they just loved it. They hungered for more. You say, that's a waste of time. Well, I'm going to say this. Your iPad... And you know, I'm really glad that on the new iPhones, they have this thing to tell you how many hours you were on your phone this week. Because you need to know that. 
Everybody, everybody needs to know how long they're on their iPad, their smartphone, their tablet, how long they're on their internet, because all of those things suck you into a world that sinners have made. They drain your heart and mind and time. And it deadens discovery. It just deadens you. It dumbs you down. Well, I can ask um, Google anything. That, that doesn't mean that you learned anything. You know, people, people today are only offended because they know nothing. Do you know reading your Bible will cause you to seek to discover the world that God made? You read that Bible, some of the greatest scientists in the world were spurned to discover the laws of physics and all the wonders of the universe simply because they read about how big the universe was and how smartly designed it was. The Wright brothers, did you know the Wright brothers who got the plane off the ground over there in North Carolina and got the first flight? You know what they were? They were Bible believers. They were born-again Christians. Do you know Isaac Newton who figured out laws of motion planets? He never had a satellite go up, never had a fancy telescope. He just added up all the truths and he went, I can tell you where that planet's going to be tomorrow. And it was science and he was a Bible believer. Louis Pasteur loved the Bible. Johannes Kepler, who was a German astronomer, discovered how the planets even moved around the sun. He believed the Bible. There's a guy named Francis Collins. He's still alive, born in 1950. Do you know what he is? And everybody hates it. He's the director of the Human Genome, Human Genome Project. You know what he is? He's a born-again Christian who believes the Bible. He works with Ken Ham. It answers in Genesis. People who believe the Bible don't turn off their head. It gives them open mind. Your iPad doesn't. They made decisions. Last part. Nehemiah chapter 9. Let me just read this very quickly. Verse 36. Behold, we are thy servants. The servants this day. Sorry. Behold, we are servants this day and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof. Behold, we are servants in it. And it yieldeth much increase, but not unto us. It yields increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. The things that we do, we serving our debt, our bankers, our, 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 um, the results of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle and at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of all this, verse 38, we make a decision. We make a sure covenant, and we write it with our princes, and our Levites, and our priests, and we seal unto it. Now what's happening? They decided to turn unto God's dominion. They're saying we are under the, the Persian kings, but we want to be back under your dominion. We separate from the sinful things of the culture around us as they talk there, as it goes on. We've decided to walk and live according to God's laws and your expectations of us. That's in chapter 10. We've decided that our children will marry only saved people. Matter of fact, that's a very New Testament truth. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, Be not unequally yoked. Yoked? Together with unbelievers. We've decided not to work on the Sabbath, but to keep one day a week holy unto the Lord. We make some decisions. Whatever decision that you ought... Uh, anytime you go to church, you ought to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? What's the decision you want me to make today? Maybe there's three things, maybe there's one. But decide, that's what made this a great meeting. There were more, but if you make no decision, you come to church, brain dead, and then you go out the same, you actually made a decision. Listen to Hebrews 2.3. It says, if we neglect 
so great salvation, how shall we escape the wrath to come? If you say, I'm not going to get saved. Oh, I don't want to believe that. You've made a decision. And that's the wrong decision. Can you stand with me and bow, please, in prayer? The Bible you hold in your hand is everything. You would never know who Jesus is. You never know what he did. You never know what to believe without the Bible. That's why we make big of it here. But there are a lot of people maybe here that have a Bible but have never believed it with all their hearts. You know, if you just believe the book you hold in your hand, it'll save your life, it'll save your soul, save your marriage. If you just believe it. Believe it enough to obey it. By the way, you can't be saved without it. These things John wrote, these things have I written unto you that say you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John wrote this so that we would know how to have it and that we do have it. Are you born again? Is there a decision you need to make this morning about your own heart, about whether the church is going to be important to you or just something you just go with or not with based on your feelings? Father, we bow in prayer right now. I don't know what it was like that first day there back in Nehemiah chapter 8, <clears throat> but I'd like to say we could still have it again. Will we take every word that we've heard very seriously? And we say, some of it had to be for me. Some of it had to be about me. And when I come to the Bible, I want to look in the mirror, and I don't want to see anybody else but me and where I'm wrong and how to get right. Morning, the first thing that somebody could do is come up to me, come up to the pastor and just say, I'm ready to get saved. I think I believe, but I want to believe with all my heart. And there's always something that'll come up. So in this moment of interruption, God, I pray that still people would make a decision because fire alarm is not as important as the souls of men and women. Please help us. Lord, that we take what we've heard today seriously in Jesus' name. Amen.